0: Will Ferrell's line about his character's importance in the movie Anchorman was turned into comedic and meme gold for the interweb. Here at Timberwood Church, at least the staff, at least the male staff, we use it to make fun of ourselves. Don't you know? I'm kind of a big deal. It invites the self-deprecating human to wonder how often they think more highly of themselves than they ought, which for anyone who has played in Paul's world... Specifically, the book of Romans invokes a reasonable amount of of caution. Um, so, a week ago, this hand this hand was hurting. Two days earlier, I was trying to run a 100 foot length of stiff wire. Actually, this 100 foot length of stiff wire in a shallow sewer line. Okay, and you can understand why. Having run it in a shallow sewer line, I am now wearing rubber gloves at any rate, so the first fifty feet right was pretty easy, right? No problem. The next twenty feet were harder but still manageable okay and i 'm operating from a uh, from a four inch clear, clean out. Now, the great thing about having little arms is that I can put my hand into a four-inch clean-out, no problem whatsoever. The bad thing about it is that my hand barely fits. And so I get these wear spots as you move the wire further into the drain, into the line. And it was one of those times, if you've ever been in it, you know what I mean, where it's cool enough where you really don't feel the pain that you're incurring. And your first hint that something is amiss is when you look down and see blood, well, actually pink, on the inside of the PVC. And you're thinking, how does PVC get to be pink? My bullheaded nature wouldn't let it go. I had started with a couple other options. And I know that there are some of you, specifically some of you males who are out there who would say, why didn't you stop? Just stop. I'm telling a story. This is my story. I don't want any advice. <laughs> Page 949, starting with verse 14, Romans chapter 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. And, and the commentators all agree, my brothers and sisters um, is, is probably what Paul has in mind. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you, very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace, God, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be very proud. Be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around, To Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never heard, never been told of him, will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Paul's really wrapping things up. We know that for a couple of different reasons. One, when we flip the page to 950, we realize there is just like a page and a half left of Romans, and then we're done. Paul's shutting the thing down. Ian in essence, says, I like you a lot. I, I really, really like you. My family, my, my brothers, my sisters, friends of mine, there's this, there's this essence of affection, a friend of mine last week after the second service looked at my right hand which looks a lot better today than it did last Sunday and said what have you been dancing with a with a jigsaw and, and I said, well, no, actually, and so then I described to him what I just described to you about the sewer line and wanting to get the heat tape because the sewer line is shallow because the cottage was a converted woodshed, and so we needed it to be a wet cottage rather than a dry cottage. That was my wife's request, and so we needed a sewer line, but the sewer line came after the original septic system was put in, and so the sewer line is shallower than it would normally be, and last year it froze, which is pesky. It's not what you want your sewer lines to do. So the idea is run a piece of heat tape, okay, through the sewer line. That way, when you get a little ice in there, fire the heat tape on, the ice melts, blah, blah, blah. Not a perfect solution, I know. But again, I don't want your advice. I'm telling a story. So my friend looks at my right hand and says, hey, have you been dancing with a jigsaw? And I say, no, actually, I haven't. And he's like, well, actually, I have a piece of uh, fish tape that you could use, a chunk of a 65-foot-long fish tape, which is a really economical way to do it, except that 65 feet doesn't get me to 100 feet where I need to get to. And fish tape is usually more in a dry application where this is going through a sewer line. A place where you want to use rubber gloves. But it did get me thinking. And so then what I did was I went to our favorite local home improvement store and bought one of these. This is cool. It's such a simple piece of technology. Okay, basically what it is, a piece of flat steel with this little thing on the end, and it unravels like this, and it's like remarkably strong and resilient, and it's so cool, and sure enough, within a few minutes of putting this down the drain, I was at my desired conclusion from one clean out to another. Isn't that cool how that works? And it's got this little handle, so you don't have to stick your hand down it and abuse yourself until you are bleeding on the inside of PVC. Paul says to his friends at the church at Rome, "You have all the tools that you need all of the tools that you need to do the job the invitation the exhortation is is to use the tools that you have." You've got what you need. You know enough. Just use the tools. Now, if you don't know, that's one thing. Okay? So, if we could go Friday when I didn't have this little piece of equipment and I was attempting to do with this piece of equipment, f- fine. That's, that's stupid advice. Maybe you could give me whatever. But once you have the tools, once you know, it's stupid to go back. It's stupid to use anything less than the technology, the ability, the experience that you have. Paul says, you've got all the pieces. Now, now, whether or not we use the pieces, that is an entirely different discussion. But Paul says to the church at Rome, and I say to us today, you have all the pieces. We've worked through this book together. There is nothing that you will encounter in life for which you are rendered incapable of handling. Everything is here. Any surprise that you think will come up, it's not, you, don't, you don't have to be afraid. Everything that you need, it's all right here. Now the question is, are we willing to use the tools? And there is the challenge of life, right? In the moment of crisis, will we do the things that we know we should do? Or will we resort to the things or the ways we used to do them? Verse 15. But on some points I have written to you, very boldly, you know the notion of a yellow highlighter, right? Things that should jump out, things that... Well, inherent in this notion of highlights is everything that you might need to know, but not necessarily everything that you may want to know. And I think we've all been there, right? There's been, we've always, times where we've been where we've wanted more information. But do we have all the evidence that we need? Yeah. The highlights can be, can be starting points, as well as critical steps necessary in a complex operation. The, these bold things are, I think, to some degree, both the elemental concepts of faith, but also the realities that one continues to practice and embody with increasing familiarity The gospel of Jesus Christ, what Paul's talking about, the tools that he provides, are not complex things. But they are things that are intriguing enough that once learned can provide a lifetime of satisfaction in their perfection. The things that Paul has addressed, and you can write these down if you wish or not, or you perhaps you will remember them or ask me later. Paul is clear, the bold things. He doesn't tell us everything about God. He doesn't tell us everything about Jesus. He doesn't tell us everything in the book of Romans about his experience with God or his experience with Jesus. But here are the things for which Paul is crystal clear. Who Christ is. Paul is absolutely clear, crystal clear with who Jesus Christ is. Likewise, Paul is equally clear about who I am without Christ who I am when I don't have a relationship with uh, with Jesus Christ. Likewise, Paul is amazingly, blindingly point on who I am when I am with Christ, what I look like when I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul provides perhaps the most guidance about how I move from being without Christ to being with Christ. And equally, he spends time on how do I stay with Christ and challenges us to how we should respond to Christ. These things are, to some degree, both the elemental concepts of faith But also the realities that one continues to practice and embody with an increasing familiarity. Who Christ is. Who I am without Christ. Who I am with Christ. How do I move from being without to being with? How do I stay with Christ? How do I respond to Christ? The text goes on. Verses 16 and 17. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. The intriguing thing is that the first time I was introduced to electricity was a gentleman by the name of Mike Von Arks. I think I've maybe mentioned Mike Von Arks at least once in casual passing. Mike Von Arks is one of those guys who was just like an absolute master craftsman, and he held a master's license in electricity. He could also be rather coarse, and so jokes that he would tell um, probably wouldn't be suitable on Sunday morning. Not because they were inherently profane, but just in the words of my mouth, In the words of my mother's mouth, uh, John, that's potty humor. At any rate, I was building a house down in New Prague, and Mike's like, hey, I'll teach you how to wire your house. I'm like, man, that sounds like a great deal. He's like, you buy the equipment, okay, the goods necessary, and then um, you and I'll put it in together, and I'll show you how to wire your house. I'm like, what a great deal. What an amazing deal. So for two weeks, we worked together. But on day one, okay, the, the, the standards were set. Again, a master's license holder, a craftsman. I threw some garbage on, on the dirt floor of the garage before the garage floor was poured. I covered it up with dirt. And he's like, boy, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? Pick up that piece of garbage. This isn't a waste site. I'm like, At any rate, Mike's fundamental process was driven by the National Electrical Accord, Article 110.12. You know it? You should, especially if you're an electrician. Electrical equipment shall be installed in a neat and workmanlike manner. He drilled that phrase into my head over the next two weeks. Paul said, I did the job. I'm proud of the stuff that I did for Christ. I think it both describes Paul's attitude towards what it meant to work for Jesus Christ as well as a challenge for anyone who would follow him. Do the job. Do the job in a neat and workmanlike manner. R- represent Christ as best we can every day of our lives. It's kind of a big deal. The text concludes, verses 18 to 21. For I will not venture to speak of anything except Jesus Christ. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit. I, I make my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who will never hear who have never heard will understand. Now, if you want to be critical of Paul, I think the most natural criticism of Paul would be, it's, it's easy for you to say that. I mean, it's the same criticism that we might have of a professional athlete or someone who's extremely gifted, um, perhaps in the field of education. They're a, they're a brilliant educator who is consistently able to motivate students beyond their willingness to learn. Or the politician who is able to see and and forge compromise, finding common ground or workable solutions. Asking these people how they do their job, and they would say things like, well, it's not that hard, and we're like, that's easy for you to say because you're really good at it. And we could say to Paul, it's easy for you to say, it's been my life to tell about Jesus because it's so easy for you to do this. And Paul was good. He was really good. I mean, I mean he's a once-in-the-history-of-the-world once kind of person. He's extraordinary. The fact that we get to study his life is breathtaking. He was super, super good. And there are other name-brand followers of Christ who are the subject of many doctoral dissertations and what they have done and how they have lived. But please understand, the cause of Christ is not won solely by these, but by us. The cause of Christ is won by us, who in a few generations will be forgotten. Will we obey? Will we speak about Christ? Now, Paul's words can be a little startling because we can be like, wow, is that the only thing you talked about? Don't take it to an unreasonable conclusion. Paul still talked about sports and travel and the market. But I think he realized how critical the cause of Christ is and how he wanted to get to a Christ conversation whenever he could. And maybe at the end of Romans, as his life, as his time is growing shorter, he wanted to get to those conversations as quickly and as boldly as he possibly could. My life has been about telling people about Jesus, encouraging them to obey, relying on the power of God, going to new places, talking to new people who don't know Jesus Christ. It's true of Paul's life, and it's a challenge for ours. Two articles as we close this morning. One was out of the Wall Street Journal. One was out of the New York Times. The New York Times article is actually a book review written about this question of how do we make long-term decisions that matter, and basically the article um, is about the book um, by Stephen Johnson entitled Farsighted. And and the whole review centers around the premise of the book that we're really bad at making long-term decisions. Marry that with a second article from the Wall Street Journal. And it seems as though in a place uh, in northern wine country in California, Oakmont Village, there's been a bit of a problem. Recently, the president of the Homeowners Association woke up one morning to a knock on his door. He opened up his door, finds a brown paper bag on his doorstep, opens up the brown paper bag, and finds a rat's head. A rat's head with the note that says, you're next. A rat's head. It's a retirement community. Seems as though, um, in this retirement community, people are fighting about a pickleball court, okay? <laughs> exactly. So pickleball is this combination of ping pong and badminton and tennis, right? And so it seems as though some people who moved into the re- community most recently have a great deal more uh, wealth and influence and activity and they want a new pickleball court. And so they were pushing this through. But people who had been there for a long time, okay, for a long time, didn't have the resources necessary and they didn't want the pickleball court and they didn't want their dues to increase. And so there's this big wall battle. There's this big war. And, and it ends with the president of the association a Mr. Heyman um, um, finding a brown paper bag with a rat's head on his doorstep, saying, you're next. Gotta love retirement. (laughs) (sighs) Steven Johnson argues that we're incapable of making good long-term decisions. One might argue, at times, we're incapable of making good short-term decisions. Mr. Johnson argues that there's surprising little guidance about how to approach the grand moments that shape our futures. Do you agree with that? Surprisingly little guidance about how to approach these decisions that affect the grand moments in our life. Paul says, I am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I get what Mr. Johnson is arguing for. I just disagree with it. Everything that you need to make a long-term value decision is right here. All of the tools that you'll ever need to pull out of the box, right here. And if there's one thing that I can encourage you to do, is to use the right tool for the right job. Because it's kind of a big deal. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today challenged by your word. Allow our lives to be lived in such a way that they reflect your son. Allow our speech patterns to be such that they speak of the good that you and your son and your spirit have brought to our life. And allow us to constantly reflect on all that lies on the past and all that is in the future, and how you have uniquely prepared us with all that we have, with all that you have, to understand all that we will face. Father, work in our hearts work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.